This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 537, Labor to Leadership with Jeremy Torres. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships, business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live On Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. And joining me today is Jeremy Torres. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. This is fun. This is what we do. We've chosen to do this industry and our life is helping people. And if you're not having fun helping people, they need, you really need to shrink. You need some kind of help for sure. Jeremy, you have a fascinating story and I would love to have you just take a minute and introduce uh, that story to us. Your, your book is called Labor to Leadership. But it goes even deeper than that because it started with like homelessness yes. and uh, an upbringing that was um, also affected by drug use and illegal activity. Uh, you've had some adventures. Yes, adventures is probably a, a word we use, and I've said it's an adventure. It was it skewed my view of the world for a long time. Because it was an adventure. Well, it's your program. <laughs> it was hell. It's, yeah. And and it's all you knew. Yeah, it was all I knew. And it was all I, we had no aspiration. You know, I, I do a lot of groups, a lot of feel-good groups, mindset groups. And one of the questions I was just asked the other day is, what did you want to be growing up? And I almost had a little mini panic attack. And that's not me. I'm pretty cool, calm, collective. Mm-hmm. I was literally going through the, my, my head and it got to me. And I said, you know, we didn't have aspirations. We never did. We were never, we were, I was told I was ugly. I was told I was stupid. I was told we, this is the best it gets. Wow. And I bought into it. So I said the best of my recollection, literally, I used to see the garbage trucks going down the alley and think that looks fun. Like hanging off the back of a garbage truck and getting, so maybe I probably wanted to do that as the only recollection of an aspiration of a career growing up until I was, you know, much older in my later teens and I wanted to be a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, we just didn't have that. So yeah, it's skewed. It is definitely skewed. So give us the context, Jeremy. I, I would love to hear enough of your story that our listeners really get a, a handle on where we're starting from because that, that makes the rest of the story so much more inspirational. So I was born here in Hollywood, Florida, which is a really beautiful place. And it always has been. The weather's always great. And even though we were very underperforming uh, as a family, I always knew I had some sort of luck at where I was born. And I didn't have a worldview. And we didn't, you know, hardly have cable TV back then, really. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't know what the world looked like, but I knew this was special. I always kind of felt that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of time outside, you know. Yeah. Uh, my parents were drug addicts and alcoholics. They had horrible lives. So they just repeated the cycle. Uh, my grandmother wow. and on both sides had horrible lives, made horrible men choices. Um, and so there was just a revolving door of alcohol and drugs. Again, no aspirations. Now, my mother 
had my sister very young. She was deaf. She had me right after that. I wasn't. My sister was undersized. I was oversized. I was a 10-pound baby. Mm -hmm. So I was immediately my sister's big little brother, so yeah. her protector. And I could do no wrong. I never could do anything wrong in my mother's eyes. But mm -hmm. my mother was a flawed person. So for her, I mean, she had no boundaries. She was um, extremely crude, extremely racist. Back then, a lot of people were racist. Um, we lived in a very, very poor neighborhood, so the races were all mixed, and our house was just full of everybody. It was the open house. Um, mm -hmm. They were, because they were into drugs, there was often men coming and going at all hours of the day, especially when dad was at work, which was a truck driver. So I had a lot of uncles. Oh, and my. you know what I mean? Like a lot of guys hanging yeah. around. And, yeah. my, and so. I just grew up in a, an environment that just was no rules. It was like the Wild West. Mm. And so all my friends were mixed, you know, mixed races and everything. And I, I never saw the world in the way that other places do in, in society with rules and structure. Never did homework, was horrible at school. Didn't know at the time. I didn't know until I was 40 years old. I had dyslexic. I was dyslexic and uh, ADHD. Mm. And you've heard of ADHD? Yeah. I have 100 HD. <laughs> That's bad. That's about 20 more. So all I did was play the drums. My dad was a drummer in his past life, so I always had a drum set. And so literally from four years old, no matter what time, the day or not, I could get on and play. Mm -hmm. And I played all the time. I loved playing. So that was my one joy. And also I was pretty good at making people laugh. But yeah. because there was so much turmoil, there was a lot of rage. So literally from third grade until I was almost 20, I got into street fights almost every day. Wow. Almost every, I was stabbed twice, two different times in knife fights with people, uh, homeless people. You know, that's when I'm living. And, yeah, it's between 17 and 20. So yeah, it was just bad. It was just no laws, no, no structure, no aspirations, but love, strangely. We had a, if you ever seen Shameless, the show Shameless. Between Full House and Shameless, we were like an 8.5 on that scale. Right? <laughs> we're way to the right on Shameless. Yeah. So you remember there's a lot of love in that family, but mm. it doesn't mean their moral compass even worked. All right. Yeah. So that's how exactly how it was in our family. There's always drugs available, always alcohol available. There was prostitution always around. Nope. It was just it was a party. What it was. Yeah. It's interesting to me to hear your story, Jeremy, because as a psychologist, I've heard so many stories and there are people who get into, I call it victim mode, mm -hmm. you know, where they blame their life and they blame their circumstances for their current existence. Yeah, that, I resemble that comment for a long time. And they, Well, so having been there and in your book, uh, you talk about how you made this transformation from that life to what you do now. And uh, dear listeners, just so you know, Jeremy is one of the leading business consultants and, and teaches leadership. Um, I'm sitting with Jeremy right now in his new training facility in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where uh, you've made a little bit of a transformation. Yes, uh, definitely. It was the uh, the swan song, I think. 
What allowed that to happen for you? What so, did you figure out? Well, you're so right with the victim mentality. It was I was a very, very hard worker from birth. Mm -hmm. I was exposed to very hard work and I loved working. It was the only way I got adoration. It's the only time I ever told I did something well, when I cut someone's lawns well and you did a good job. Yeah. And I, so everything I've done since then was labor intensive to get a compliment. Yes. So always a hard worker. At one point I was, um, I left home at 17 because it was just getting crazy. So crazy, my, my, they, the house imploded, they all split up. I lost my little brother, seven years younger than me, to suicide when he was 23. Oh. And um, so there was, it, it was it impacted him a little more than me, but that's how dark it was that he literally shot himself in front of my father, wow. right? Uh, at, at some point, uh, you know, this was yeah. 21 years ago. But uh, that, I got out, right? I, I got out. I'd rather be by myself, but I still, was, not make, I was making minimum wage, working minimum wage jobs, mad at the world, fighting every day. I wasn't drinking, though. All my friends drank. I was the youngest of my circle. So when you are out in the world that young age, nobody your age is out in the world. So all my friends were much older, five years older, mm. at least. And they were all drinking. And I was their protector. I was the mm -hmm. fighter. So I never drank. I never did drugs until I was 27, I think, before I really started having drinks socially. Mm -hmm. But... I was still rage filled and making all those excuses. I was living in a friend's garage, like a converted garage, digging holes, digging trenches as a pit digger for a contractor for the cable company. Mm. And I, my sister got married in Delaware. The whole family kind of reunited there. I was 20 years old. My grandmother paid for a ticket for me because I was dirt broke. Mm -hmm. Went up there. My mother was there. My father had been newly remarried, was there. My brother, my, everybody was there for my sister's wedding. After the wedding went fine, I get home. Now, my mother's mother, I was very close to her. Now, my, she was a horrible person. My mother was sexually assaulted most of her life, including as an adult by her father. And I witnessed that. I had to actually... And my, my ex-wife, my kids my, wow. actually saved me from murdering this man. Um, anyway, I digress. I mean, it's bad. It's still bad. It's still bad today. But yeah. at 20, I got back from that wedding. And I was very close to my grandmother because she was making amends. I guess that's what people do, right? They treat the grandkids better than they treated their own kids to kind of make up. Yeah. So I didn't see her in that light. That's kind of why I went there. Mm -hmm. She was a horrible person, but I didn't know that person. I just knew... My grandmother, mm -hmm. first woman salesperson at the Hollywood Sun Tatler in the 70s and early 80s. That's tough. Mm. It's a boys club. She's a tough woman. She drank a yeah. fifth of wild turkey every day. Wow. And by the, you know, by the time I was 20, she used to get pretty sauced pretty early. And so I got home from that wedding. I called her immediately to tell her I was home. I guess she forgot it was me she was talking to because that's she was just drunk. Mm -hmm. And she said, boy, that was just a great wedding, you know, and she started talking to me in the, like I wasn't like third person almost like, you know, you talk to family, it's like almost like talking to your, yourself, right? So when you start mm -hmm. talking to yourself in third person, you, it's like, what you don't talk to me, like, you don't call your dad Ron, right? So she started talking to me about Ron, not my dad, not your father, 
you know, uh, it was great except for Ron brought that woman who ruined the wedding. And I was like, what happened? Because I don't remember any kerfuffle. Well, yes, the whole time she was saying how they shouldn't have to be there because seven words that changed my life. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to jump in that car and drive all the way from South Carolina to Delaware because Paulette and Jeremy aren't even Ronnie's kids. And that's 20 years old. I found out that way that wow. I wasn't my father's son. I got goosebumps now. And I was outside on a little portable phone. And my girlfriend, brand new girlfriend at the time, was standing there looking at me. I was on these little cherry stones. And I just went blank. And she thought somebody didn't make it home. Somebody died in transit mm-hmm. from the look on my face. And I just said, I got to go. I hung up the phone before she realized she just told me that secret, you know. This is just a, a bombshell about your identity, who you even were. Right. So here's the crazy part about it. At that moment, so there's two things that are going on right now. She's looking at me thinking somebody died, my, my girlfriend, because yeah. the look on my face, who knew? Well, right. And in my, what happened to me, though, I literally, I've always heard about this, never believed in it, but I do believe in it now because it happened to me. I time traveled. Transcendental meditation, whatever you call it, back to I was about six years old in bed. We didn't have beds. We had cushions on the floor. Me and my sister slept on because mm-hmm. we had like little apartments. And we, I was sitting on in bed with her, laying in bed, going trying to go sleep. And she was bugging me, you know. And I looked at her, what? And she said, "Our father's not our father." And we were like six and seven years old. And I said, "What are you talking about?" And now she's deaf. Remember, so she, yeah. Since he's not using the, all the words I'm using, this is just us communicating in a way we communicated at that very young age. Right. Said our father is dark, has black hair, brown eyes. My mother's blonde hair, blue eyes. We have blonde hair, blue eyes. And I said, we look like our mother. Like I'm, I'm reasoning at a six, you know, six year. You're trying to make sense out of it. From our, their fam, my father's family, they treat us bad. Well, well, whatever. Yeah. I don't remember that conversation, obviously. I mean, that's, it just went. But I went back to that day. On that mm-hmm. call. And I remembered it crystal clear. Came back to my senses and I, you know, in, in a millisecond, that's how quickly it happened, probably. Just accessed yeah. that file. But I told my wife, my who ended up being my wife, I gave that away. My girlfriend, who ended up <laughs> being my wife. Spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, I just got the best news ever. And she was really puzzled. And I literally filled up with joy that I'm not my father's son. My father is, I told her, and she goes, she was looking like you, (laughs) she shifted her stance. And I said, I'm free. Those people told me I would never. freed you from your history. My DNA. Wow. For the first time, I found out that I had potential. I'd never had that before. I never knew it. What's fascinating about this, Jeremy, because we, it's part of that victim mindset that I mentioned earlier. The only thing that changed that day, it wasn't your DNA. Nope. It was your thinking. That's it. And it could have gone the other way. I could have added it to the toolbox of excuses. Right. And it would have been, a, a we call it in the industry, a BFH, a big effing hammer. <laughs> right? Yeah. That would have been a big one. Nope. Yeah. It, I went from reactive to proactive in that moment. And I never knew what that was. I hadn't read Seven so habits of highly effective something people. Something switched in your brain where you now saw yourself differently. I just 
didn't like those people. And now that I wasn't related to them, I said, I can be whoever I want to be now. Wow. And so that was transformational. Seven words. And my grandmother never even knew she did it. I know. Well, I, she ended up blowing later because I, I wanted to find out about who my real father was, biologically speaking. Yeah. Because my father was with my mother since middle school or elementary school. Yeah. It date, and that, it's all, but she was in the time, remember, she was a bit promiscuous. Um, so my sister has a different person. I have a different, my brother was really my father's only son, which makes his suicide even that more traumatic if you mm. think about it. But I decided to go ahead and upset a lot of apple carts by pursuing who my biological father was because it was basically a one night stand. It was almost impossible, mm. but my uncle had just got back from Vietnam. He had moved to Maine. He was a police officer there. My, I found out cause I just asked questions until I, that, so everyone that I grew down. up with told me I should have been a lawyer cause I, I was a pit bull. I didn't let things go. And I argued things in a very, weird way to turn a lot of tables and that but at that time mike tyson was my hero and it's like saying because i fought every single day you should be you should you're such a good fighter you should go fight mike tyson right that's that mm -hmm. doesn't equate you don't fight in the street and that means you could fight mike tyson i don't debate or argue or play minds so that doesn't mean i could be a lawyer yeah well i put my lawyer hat on and said i'm gonna find this guy right and so I started asking the questions in different ways. And finally, somebody cracked. It gave me, for the first time, potential. I had, and I always had potential. You Everybody always, always has potential. But I didn't know it. Yeah. I, bu I bought into the, to the negativity. You'd been programmed with a, yeah. a belief system. That's right. That the, was not serving you well. And you didn't even know that you had it. The BS was deep. <laughs> yeah. Was okay. So a second epiphany, if you want to call it, happened after that time about... Uh, Few, a few years later, uh, two years later, uh, it took me about that long because there was no Google back, back in 1993. So I had to yeah. find, when I said, I'm going to go find him, it meant Sherlock Holmes style, right? Asking the, the family members that were around then, which was upsetting to well, a lot of people. You're a pretty tenacious person, though. I was very tenacious, especially then, but I didn't have any tact. <laughs> so mm. that kind of slowed me down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. You know, I got through it. My mother finally came around and handed me a note one day with a picture and a name. And she said, this is your father. Now, I don't know if it was real. Didn't even know to believe her because she's a pathological liar. Right. So I took it for face worth and at face value. And actually, speaking of that, he kind of looked like me, you know. You but you buy it. You want him to look like you, right? Yeah. So I saw myself in him, and then I really went hard and uh, trying to find him. I recalled the time. I just did the math. Found a story from an aunt that my mother went and visited my uncle in Maine, who when he came out of Vietnam, he didn't come back to South Florida. He went to Maine. He was a cop. When she went to visit him, I did the math and figured that was the time that she got pregnant with me. Found out from my aunt, my uncle's wife, that he had a friend named Hal, and that matched the picture. So I knew I had a lot of sleuthing here. Yes, I knew I had something. <laughs> yeah, I knew I had something. That was kind of the the, the precursor to the lawyer. Everyone told me I should have been a lawyer, and I just didn't yeah. believe that either. Yeah, yeah. So when I was trying to figure out, just I just wanted to know what he looked like too. I didn't want a relationship with this guy. I just wanted to know You're what curious. It, you just man, had to satisfy yeah. this. 
yeah. Dizzy Bald. I had a pretty good head of hair back then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mannerisms. All right. So um, I figured I would get a yearbook. Maybe I could get a yearbook. Very small town. Called the high school and said, I'd like a yearbook from 1969. This is 1993-ish. Yeah. So many years later, and the woman who answered it had no clue. But happenstance, the principal walked in through her office and said, hold on, here's the principal, handed the phone to him. I asked him again, very benign, may I have uh, a way to find out how I can purchase a 1969 yearbook? Well, yeah, sure, but, uh, you know, didn't ask why, so yeah. specifically, but was yeah. curious as to why I would want from that year. Uh, so I'm looking for someone named Hal. Oh, Hal Wise, I, mean, I didn't want to say the, quite the last name, but yeah. Hal Wise, I went to high school with him. We graduated in 1969. Here's his work phone number. Yeah. And I really just... <laughs> He knew him. He knew him. He was still in a small town, and he gave me his office phone number. Never asked me really why I wanted to talk to Hal. Which is okay. Because it's a nickname, right? Hal's not a name, right? It's whatever his real name is. What a coincidence that this yeah. guy. So, uh, yeah, I said, uh, I dialed the phone number. I sat there and collected myself, not knowing what I'd find. But this is when the second seven words came out on that phone call. And the woman who said these seven uh, words never knew the impact that she had on me. Because the first seven words, Paulette and Jeremy aren't even Ronnie's kids, set me free from the DNA chain. But I still had a lot of imposter theory syndrome. I still had yeah. self-hate. This seven words really put me over the top because it was law offices of Weiss Dewey, screw them, and how, whatever the hell. Yeah. And those seven words, really, I, did, I couldn't even stay on the phone. I, the first time I just hung up because those seven words meant that I was smart, that my biological father was a lawyer. He was an attorney, a partner in a law firm. And that's all I needed to know. Now I had potential and now I knew I was smart. I had DNA of a lawyer. Somebody Which in my you family already achieved. had. Jeremy, you already had that. Yeah, well. You but you didn't have, have the belief to support it. The belief system very much took over. That drive kicked in, and it was a light switch. That you said earlier, wow. the light in you, and and when yeah. that that part of it came on, because it's one thing to say, I'm not part of that family, but you're still part of the community that I was still in the mire, the muck, with the drugs and alcohol and the bad, poor neighborhood and all that stuff. That doesn't change. But when no. I had the capacity to maybe study, maybe read, maybe get a job, real job, maybe take on some leadership roles. That, that right. was all in that, those seven words. Which you had all along. The DNA didn't change. No. What changed? By belief. I, just, I said, yeah. I can, and guess what? I did. I ended up and succeeding. Here you are. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even talked much about what you're doing currently, right. but I think the backstory is so compelling. Because we get trapped in this, I call it a victim mindset. Right. You know, I can't because, or I'm just not programmed or designed to do that. Right. And your story is so compelling because nothing changed in your DNA. Nothing. Nothing changed in your potential. Not one iota. And after that, I went on to getting promoted every year. I tried to put my head to something. I, I went through it. Uh, very, not easy. Uh, you know, I have learning disabilities with dyslexia and all this stuff. And mm -hmm. but I just was determined to do better and to change what happened from my past. And I hadn't had my sons yet. So luckily, I had my sons with this new mindset. And so they their whole yeah. future changed. The whole trajectory of my family changed. 
you know, and because your mind changed. Yes. And I knew I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve that. And I always thought that I never deserved success or, or happiness. And now you glossed over something just now, and I think it deserves a little bit of attention because you said it's not been easy. I know because I know you, <laughs> it's not been a cakewalk. No. Since that, it, it, it changed the way you handle everything that life's piling on you. Right. And before I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People about the reactive versus proactive and how words are so important, I, I acted as if. So I acted as if I was proactive. That's, that was the switch. Reactive, proactive. Yeah. But what, when I started thinking this is happening now for me instead of to me, every bad thing that happened happened for a reason. Every bad thing that happened was nothing compared to the experiences I had as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I could handle this. And I knew I was smart enough. I knew I could make decisions that even though I never had an actor or an example, I saw them on TV. The people exist out there, They're out you there. know? And so I just said, and I had a really good woman. I had a person who was the mother of my children, who was the person that was with me when I first found out that I wasn't my father's son. And she made me want to be better for her. She deserved somebody right. loyal and somebody that was uh, had some uh, tenacity to go make a better future for ourselves. And, yeah. you know, it, it really is the, the 360 so not only belief in self, but surrounding the self in a better environment around better people. When I say better, like-minded, right? Like-minded people. Because right. nobody's better than anyone, but there are like mindsets. People think differently. And if you can find the people who think and resonate at an energy and a level that actually supports you and helps you to move forward, that's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, and no, the biggest difference, too, is I still had the, the inert yearning to please but now the people i was pleasing had the ability to change my life and give me promotions and pay me more money and edify me and their edification actually accounted for something in other organizations yeah. you know because it was a different set of you know it was a different game it's a totally different game you've learned so much from your life experience and in in the short time that we have here together I know that some of you listeners are, are hearing Jeremy's story today. And like me, you're feeling inspired by that. Jeremy, what would you want people to know from what you've learned? Can, can we save them some of that learning curve? Well, I can tell you that I don't know if I can save anybody from a learning curve because life is going to happen. We've got no control over what comes our way. <laughs> so the learning curve, I would say, though, is no matter I went through such bad hardships that the, anything that came after that was easier. It still was bad. I had two suicides. I'm talking about drastically public, horrible suicides that I had to deal with. That's probably the hardest part. But I lost uh, a business. I lost, you know, uh, it cost 19 people their job when I couldn't make payroll anymore when the collapse fell in 2009. Uh, yeah. But I took on, again, not the suicides, but the way that I carried my family, even though the, the, I harbored discontent for them, I had to step right back up when that happened. And I carried them through that whole period, about two years of being the patriarch again. All right. So and that's because I could and before I could never have, but I, I could. So I did that and I feel good about that. Um, so life's going to punch you in the face, but it's yeah. it's the lessons that you take. And even if you didn't go through that, it doesn't matter. It's still just your mindset. 
It doesn't matter if you didn't have this horror. Mindset. You know what? Something that I've gleaned from from this interview today is, and thank you for talking with me on my microphone. It's my my honor. Something I've gleaned from that, Jeremy, is that what we believe about ourselves isn't necessarily true. No. But we proceed as if it is. And you've demonstrated that so nicely with the way your belief changed and then everything about how you showed up on the planet changed. Right, right. And I still, that thing is still in depth, uh, inbred in me. The rage is still there. I've got I've got tools now to handle it. What? You still get to work on personal development? <laughs> PTSD, you know, it's real. These trip, these things happen. And so and it, the problem I have now, though, is trying to control it. The only people now who pay for it are the people closest to me, right? My wife, my the son. I have four kids, but I, I'm in yeah. business with one. And right. these are the people that have to really get those are the last ones, right? That and I'm getting so much this better. They'll tell refining. you. They'll tell you. Right. Yeah. And, and I was never a, a hitter and I was never an insulter. But there's a lot of furniture moving around. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Jerry, tell us a little bit more about your book, where people can reach that, what they're going to get when they connect with you. hundred percent. The book is Labor to Leadership. I have a few books out there. That one is more of a memoir, and it's up to when uh, I sold a business in 2001. So it doesn't have the sale of the business, but it has a lot of struggles in my life and what I went through on a very high level. I wasn't a writer, so that book, forgive me if it's not uh, Ernest Hemingway, but it is a real, real story about my life. And then a lot about how to, what I did to change those things. So it's a, I think it's a valuable book. You know what? We've already got Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> we don't we need, need another. Jeremy Torres. I'd be a second rate Ernest and that would leave no, nowhere for me to be a first rate Jeremy, right? <laughs> That's right. So thank you for that. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's a, I like the, I'm proud of the book and it's labor to leadership, but it's available on, on Amazon for a couple of bucks. I, I usually give it away. Um, in fact, if you go to uh, jeremytorsk.com and or find me on LinkedIn better yet. How about this? And find me on LinkedIn. And that's spelled to risk. To risk. My last name is spelled to risk and my blood type is B positive. Or I'll give you a better <laughs> one. My last name is spelled to risk, but you risk nothing when you work with me. <laughs> that's my salesy, my late night DJ voice. Love it. So you're on LinkedIn. Find obviously. me on LinkedIn. DM me. Tell okay. me about the, the purpose-driven life and I will give them a free book. It'll be a PDF copy in their inbox. No email needed. I'm not going to spam you. Inbox me. I'll put it right back to you in the message. And just let me know you heard me heard about it on this podcast. Just mentioned the Live On Purpose Radio, and it's coming your way. So generous. Thank you, Jeremy. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing your life and your insights with us. I think that's so valuable. It's like we've done it before. It's like deja vu sometimes. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Folks, you've heard it. Hopefully, like me, you've been inspired by this and you're ready to take some action. It's time to live on purpose. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it. And leave us a rating, too. It's time now to live on purpose.